Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Excellent. Glad to have you guys all back this week. Glad to be here. <laughs> I had this really goofy dream this week. Ooh. In which, I don't know if uh, I want to hear about this. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was wandering around, and, and on this hilltop was Jesus. Jesus is up there performing miracles. And as I get closer, I realize that Jesus looks an awful lot like Emerald Lagasse. And every time he works a miracle, he goes, bam! It was the most bizarre dream. You know, part of your dream may have came true because Captain America Reborn number six actually came out this week. I think that could be constituted as a miracle. It is a miracle. Who would have thought? Or a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> or the apocalypse. Apocalypse, indeed. So, hey, big news this week. The uh, you know Apple iPad came out. And uh, if you believe a lot of the comic retailers out there in the world, it is signaling the doom of comic print media as we know it. We've heard that before. I was talking to Jake Ekus about this um, earlier this week uh, on actually our website, ideologyofmadness.com, and a little bit on Twitter. I don't know if it means the death of print media. Digital media for movies and music, that they had a hard enough time getting over the fact that people – and they're still – having a hard time getting over the fact that people do want an actual item in their hands that they can look, they can touch, they can read the back of things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, things like comic books and books, I think they're going to have a harder time transitioning because, you know, in, in both instances, people really kind of, since the dawn of time have always kind of wanted some type of library in their house, you know, like a bookshelf filled with books is kind of, a sign of class or something, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think uh, people are going to have a hard time letting go of that. Besides that, the the screen is nothing more than a uh, like a monitor. And a lot of people have a hard time reading a monitor for too long. Right. It's not like the Kindle that has like the e-paper or anything. There's still that, eye strain. I think Paul's right. There's always going to be a market for people that want the tactile feel of a book regardless. So. Well, you know, and, and those of us in the hobby and, and even those without, you know, just folks who enjoy like reading a novel or something, uh, there's a certain sort of trophy involved. You know, kind of like you're saying, you know, you like to surround yourself with your books. You have them up on the shelf and, you know, people can come in and say, oh, he's learned. He's knowledgeable. He reads these books. You know, this is this is something about him. It, it, it's, it, it's a testament to the taste. And absolutely, you know, a digital comic book isn't or a digital novel isn't going to be able to to be a trophy for you yeah and you can't get it autographed either that's right you have to have them sign your ipad screen now i i like the idea of you know i, I think they're getting closer to what i'm interested in in terms of digital comics you know i want something that's full page i want something that you know is slim and that i can carry around and you know have my whole archived collection of of comics where i think that they're going to have to make a lot of ground in is i want a common format you know i want something like an mp3 for comic books because i don't want to have to buy it in each different digital publishers format i want something that's cross platform i want something that's cross publisher so that i can I, I don't have to have umpteen different viewers essentially i want a pdf version you know but that's smarter than a pdf it's a it's a great idea and but I think we're a ways off from seeing that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been fairly underwhelmed by the uh, the announcement of the iPad. Yeah, but you know, I I can see you know Marvel has their you know digital digital comic vault or whatever they call it out there, which is 
pretty nifty. And, you know, on the, the 800 and some dollar version of that iPad with the 3G in it, I could certainly see reading Marvel archived comics off of that thing. I don't see me doing it in exclusion to, you know, buying print comics, but, uh, I, I can certainly see that as a benefit. Yeah. I thought I would read a lot more of the online ones when I started buying the, you know, when Marvel first started coming out with the CDs worth of them years ago. Yeah where you could get the entire run of Spider-Man or the entire run of Hulk. Right. And I was all excited and I bought them and I read like 10 issues in and then never touched the CD again. Right. It's just, I like the feel of having it in my hands. We're talking there's always going to be a market for someone reading a physical thing. I definitely yeah. am that market. Well, and you know, again, in terms of like the iPad or the Kindle or something, I like that you can orient the page to fill the screen. You know, that it, that you can read it, you know, vertically oriented, uh, you know, like you would the comic book. Where I think it's going to hit really big is more of the indie market. The smaller yeah. guys, they can't afford the big production quality of absolutely. the big prints. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's going to. And and in terms of other media as well, I mean, you know, comics, role playing games, etc. It's really does remove the publisher from the equation. For me personally, it won't impact my floppy purchases as much but i think it might affect my trade purchases you know yeah, i was thinking you know, the, the archive thing. stuff yeah. you know I, I i you know i can buy a trade or some classic issues or something or you know the marvel digital vault yeah and uh you know bring my ipad on a trip instead of trying to bring you know a trade paperback or right. something um, well it's really interesting paul because I, the the trades are kind of when you talk about trophies those are the tr the bigger trophies on the case is the trade paperbacks for me so yeah absolutely I mean, yeah they are for me too i just see myself not buying floppies through the ipad and i could be wrong you know um, when the situation arises but i i see more of myself actually buying like i said the, you know the older stuff rather than going and every wednesday downloading my new comics mm -hmm. i can see myself buying a third copy of each book now I'll buy the original one in floppy form. Then the trade will come out and I'll buy the trade and then I can get rid of the floppies and then I'll have all those trades up there and I want to condense them down because I run out of bookshelf space. So I buy the digital version as well. And they saw you coming, Wayne. Yep. Well, and I, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are going to be, there'll be a huge piece of the market that does exactly that. I think where the problem is, and I have already complained about this in terms of, you know, comics for the iPhone is that the price point's got to come down. I'm not willing to spend, you know, uh, $2 on a digital comic. I'm just not, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, I go out and I spend every week, you know, two ninety nine, three ninety nine on, on my, uh, weekly comics. And, you know, I have something tangible in my hand that I can then do something with. I can archive it. I can give it to somebody. I can sell it back. You can't do that with a digital copy. And I'm sorry. It, it the 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 value of the print is not a dollar off. I really think they're going to have to come down in price, and they're going to have to start pricing as collections. You know, uh, if you've got a five issue run of Atomic Robo on Iverse, I think you're going to have to say, you know, you can spend a dollar an issue, or we'll give you a package deal for all five issues of that. Yeah, that's definitely a necessity. I mean, I'm looking at 13 long boxes that I've got that I'd like to see all archived into electronic form that's easy to sort and such. Yeah. But I couldn't afford to pay, you know, regular price for those. Yeah. Well, and another thing that, that, 
you know, the iPad is essentially, you know, a great big iPhone. And some of the things that, that I dislike about the iPhone is the inability to, you know, store files on it. And or it, multitask. And it, yeah. And, you know, that's, and, and, and I don't know enough about the functionality of the iPad to know if it's going to multitask or not, but it's I, not. But I do need it to be able to store my own files. You know, I don't want to have to go through iTunes for every ding dang thing. The two biggest complaints I have about the iPad as of right now and the announcements they've made, it doesn't multitask and it doesn't do flash. Yeah. Well, and, you know, then that will keep me from buying the first generation of it. Yeah, it essentially is a giant iPhone right now without the phone components. I mean, it's really cool. I'm impressed by it, but I won't be buying the first generation of that thing. I, I and you know, uh, Apple will have something new out this time next year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I I will wait on that one, and wait for the price to come down. That price is a little out there. Yeah, well, and you know, the price point for comics that they're talking is three bucks. That's what I'm hearing. That's too expensive. And uh, you know, for three bucks for a digital download, yeah, I, I'm 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 hesitant as well. Yeah, no, it's 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 far too expensive. Uh, I, I I that will keep me from from buying digital comic books. You know, plus, and this is another concern I have. You know, I was going back to you know a common format across uh, platforms and applications. Um, <clears throat> I'm much more likely to go buy a DVD of comics so that I have that in my archive so that I can then load it to different computers and whatnot, you know, cause I've got a concern about, okay, well I bought it in iverse media, but well, what if iverse media goes out of business tomorrow? You know, and don't get me wrong. I love iverse media, but you know, that's a concern I have, you know, when you have bought all of these books and then there's no application support later on, I need it to be cross platform and cross application. Yeah. So there you go. Well, surprisingly enough, there were a whole bunch of print comics this week. Yeah, uh, if this was a digital week, it would be a very expensive digital week. <laughs> well, you know, I don't generally uh, spend quite as much as Paul does, but I spent Paul Aponte money this week, <laughs> and uh, I can only imagine what Paul spent because I mean, I, I was I was uh, crushed by how expensive my uh, my comics were this Same week. Same here. Yeah, just call me Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there were a couple of Blackest Night books this week, and uh, first up was Green Lantern number 50. We'll start with Paul. This book was The Bee's Knees. This book made my week. <laughs> the Bee's Knees. How old are you? <laughs> the Bee's Knees, the Cat's Pajamas. <laughs> wow. Well, I think we have lost a significant amount of cool points this morning, but okay. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But it was I a large it. number to begin with. <laughs> well, well <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> We've lost what little we had. That's right. Thanks, Paul. You okay. ruined That's it. What for I'm us. here for? Bringing the uncool to funny books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what'd you like so much about it? The art was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, even though ultimately not terribly much moved the story forward in this book. It was just pretty much one big fight scene, but I thought it was extremely well done. You know, I thought it showcased all the different characters, which is hard when you have 12 main characters right now. Right. You know, you've got your light brigade or whatever. But, you know, I, I just, you know, the, the story was really well done. It, it it really was more than any other Blackest Night book. You know, and we've been saying this about Green Lantern Corps and Green Lantern, um, you know, how integral they are to the story. And this really read like, um, I don't know, Blackest Night 6... Point five, right? You know, issue six point five. I mean, it, it continued that story, 
and uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I didn't enjoy it as much as Paul did, but that's uh, <laughs> that may just be because he's exploding with joy over there. Exploding. Uh, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was interesting that we saw the same scene we saw in in uh, Blackest Night Flash with uh, Firestorm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. The uh, time markers that they're putting in the book. You yeah, know, so the, you uh, know exactly how these things line up. The art was good. I love seeing the Light Brigade. Don't know how I feel about having Parallax back, but that was my we'll big see. issue on the book. I'm like, is really that's the only way you can defeat this guy is by uh, you know becoming uh, Parallax again? But you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I'm kind of with you, Wayne. I I uh, I am not ebullient about the book, but I thought it was great. And again, you know, Doug Mankey just rocking the art through this series. Uh, it was awfully pretty to look at. So, and the scene where uh, Hal is being overcome by the Black Lantern ring was awesome. I mean, just the artwork on that is just terrific. I got a kick out of him staking the specter. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of little cool moments like that, like when with Mira and uh, her and Aquaman's baby. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. That was, I thought that was hilarious. I had no idea that Mira was so pissed off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, either, I mean, apparently. prior to becoming a rage lantern, I had no idea that she had so much rage. But, you know, I do have a sense that, that uh, uh, they're trying to to make some changes to Mira to make her um, to elevate her position within the DC universe. Cause really whoever gave Mira much thought. I love Scarecrow as a yellow lantern too. Yeah. He's working out really well. I was a little dubious on that uh, the last time around, but uh, uh, he's working out really well there. So anyway, I thought it was a good book. Now we had uh, some other black blackest night goodness, such as uh, Adam and Hawkman, you know, which Paul and I both read. Yep. I, I good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And I, you know, the costume that the Adam wears when he's, you know, rocking around in, in the, uh, the miniature world that, that he's been in where he's, you know, almost like a Conan kind of character. I mean, he's just all very fantasy made up. I always thought that was kind of, kind of an interesting look for him. I, I didn't get much out of this. And I picked it up primarily because of Jeff Johns, because I don't really care about the Adam or Hawkman. It didn't really feel like it did anything to the well, story. It with the and, and I really think the only thing that it did was the very last page, the very last panel is, you know, so I helped you. Now you help me, he says to the to the Indigo Lantern. And she goes, well, how? And he goes, well, you're going to help me figure out how to bring Hawkman and Hawk Girl back to life. I think that's what this book was all about, even though that's the only time that issue is raised. I think that that is the stepping stone to, you know, probably wrapping up Blackest Night. Yeah, but, you know, that could have been two pages in a Blackest oh, Night book. I absolutely agree. I don't think this book was necessary. Um, I didn't I did not dig this book at all. You know, I, I didn't hate it, but I did. I did enjoy the kind of backstory that they provided in the first one, two, three pages of the book, kind of mm-hmm. linking his his relationship with with Gene. Gene. Yes, Gene. Sorry. Um his relationship with her in contrast to the relationship that Hawkman and hot girl had, or that uh, Ralph and Sue Dibney had. So I, I thought that was actually very well done and, and kind of put that relationship in context. That's been so important through uh, the blackest night books. So that I, I, I kind of enjoyed, but on the whole, I thought this could have been, you know, two or three pages in, in the uh, regular blackest night series. I don't, I gave it a chance because of Jeff Johns, but it really kind of was just a throwaway book. Yeah. Now, uh, Blackest Night JSA number two. I absolutely love this, except for one complaint. 
the Jesse Quick costume shows up again. You know, <laughs> you know, her zombie dad says, "What? You're 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 wearing your mom's your mom's costume. You're not wearing mine." And she goes, "But wait, here I can put this on." <laughs> I thought it was overall. I thought she was completely out of character throughout the book. Yeah. But other than that, I absolutely love this. This is not the same as all the other tie-ins that they've done with, you know, with the Blackest Night stuff. Yeah. It's not simply these guys are here, they tug on their heartstrings and rip out their hearts. Yeah. They actually really had me going. I was wondering if some of these, you know, some of these zombies actually did have their original personalities. Yeah. And And it was nice to see them, you know, get over on the heroes a different way. Yeah. You know? So, you know, so yay for they completely caught them off guard. And, you know, I kept reminding myself as I read through it, there's no way there can be a good Black Lantern. There's no way there can be a good Black Lantern. But we still get to a point. It's like, wow, I think they really have some good Black Lanterns. Yeah. Maybe Lois really isn't bad. She's bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the the whole the whole trick to get over on them is to uh, reunite the black lantern ring with uh the alternative earth's uh kal-el you know who was destroyed in the um superman blackest night books and so of course he has risen now kal-el of krypton rise again uh, yeah it's I, I thought it was pretty cool i thought it was pretty cool yeah. and in the process it looks like they destroyed all of mr terrific's machines and mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, really you know, enjoying this. Yeah, it was a good book. It was a good book. Now, Speaking of JSA, is anyone else going to watch Smallville this week? Because JSA act- is going to be on it. I was actually just going to mention that and give that to you as your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will definitely watch that. And I, I think I'm – do you watch Smallville regularly? I don't. I don't either. See, I, I do. I actually do. Um, and I've only started as of last season. And I watched the first season and – just kind of dropped off somewhere in the middle. And then I started picking it up again last season and um, it's actually really good. So I'm actually looking forward to that episode. It's written by Jeff Johns mm-hmm. and it's so. two hours long and, and it's, it's got star girl. Yep. And it's yeah. got, a, you know, they have a, a bunch of um, pictures online of little hidden goodies. You know, there's a hidden flash ring and uh, you know, Jay Garrick flash stuff in there. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a green lantern in there. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. I actually watched all of last season, and I watched the first half of this season, but then somehow the uh, the show ended up DVR'd at the same time as other shows my wife watches. So I'll be returning to the show with this one, just entirely because the JSA is going to be on it. Well, I, okay, so you all have your homework. We have to watch it before we record next Saturday. So, because okay. we, we've got <laughs> to talk about it on the show. People expect it. Yeah, Aaron, I got a doctor's note on that one. (laughs) (laughs) No watching WB for me. (laughs) Well, while the zombies are rising over in the DC universe, um, the forces of of Norman Osborn are invading uh, Asgard. But before we can invade Asgard, 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 (laughs) Captain America must be reborn. Believe it or not. (laughs) <laughs> Captain America Reborn number six came out this week. I didn't read it. <laughs> you know the best thing about this book? The one page ad for Fantastic Four 575. <laughs> <laughs> this book made me puke blood. That's how angry this book made me. Oh wow. my. 
God. I'm going to go off on a little rant here. My cat's even yelling at me because she sees me angry at it. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we waited how freaking long for this stupid book? Uh, five years, I believe. About six, seven years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, We've had um, the ending spoiled by five other titles by now. <laughs> but you know what? Not, the, the, all the endings, you know, the uh, all those books that spoiled the ending didn't happen to mention that the big buildup of who the frick knows how long in the Captain America titles since number one by Ed Brubaker was to build up to a huge ass giant robot red skull fighting Captain America on the lawn in front of the Washington Monument. Seriously? <laughs> That's what we were building up to? A, a giant... giant red skull robot? <laughs> you know, the other thing... Well, it's hard to say the other thing that bothered me about this book. One of the many other things that bothered me about this book was when he finally gets that glimpse at the future that we knew he was going to get from all the other books that have been talking about it. Basically, we have tripods. We have War of the Worlds rip-off robots walking around the city. Yeah, it's, it, you know, they mentioned this future thing. It's like, okay, so there's a battle with robots in the future. Who cares? Is that really something, is is this going to build up to anything just as sucky as Captain America Reborn? And I'm, I know I'm being harsh on this book, and I shouldn't have freaking bought it, because I gave up after issue two. And then I was like, no. No, it has, you know, it'll build up to Siege. Let me give it a shot. F this book. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. Well, I was really hoping that they would they would put Cap and Bucky in an octagon to settle who gets the shield. But it sounds like that didn't happen. No. Well, and, you know, the cover of the book, I'm not done yet, obviously. The yeah. cover of the book has about 50 superheroes like the entire Marvel Universe. Um, I had none a different of them cover. are in the book. My cover only has the two Caps on it. Oh, see, but I've got I the cover that has all of them. Even looking through at the artwork, I wasn't impressed there either. There's one panel that's supposed to be the inspirational, here's Captain America, he's back, he's jumping, he has a shield, and it just looks awkward and unimpressive. Yeah, it, it, it was a terrible, terrible book. You know, So the Red Skull takes over Captain America's mind, right? Uh, his Of his body, of his resurrected body. And Basically, it takes all of a page and a half for Captain America inside doing battle with the Red Skull in his mind to win. He's like, no, get out of my body. And Red Skull's like, I. <laughs> and, and then, and then he, you know, Red Skull goes into the giant freaking robot and they fight. It, it's so ridiculously stupid. And I don't even like the setup of Red Skull's daughter becoming possibly a new Red Skull. Yeah, she gets all burned up. And uh, she looks like Red Skull from the Ultimate Universe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm angry because this book was so bad. Ugh. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I got you know, I got it's... a question for you though. Do, do you guys feel like maybe this wasn't the direction it was supposed to go because the delays they had to kind of come up with a plan B? You know what? I, I I think this is the way it was always intended to go by Brewbreaker. I know, kind of. He's, a... I'm sorry. I said, I kind of agree. It it doesn't seem like they changed. It's not like they rushed to throw anything in. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I honestly feel that it was always building up. You know, he's even said, you know, he had this long story arc of Cap's death, Cap's rebirth. Um, in fact, Captain America was supposed to be reborn earlier. But since people liked the Bucky Cap, you know, they extended that storyline. 
Um, and, uh, and this is the result. It's kind of funny that a title called Captain America Reborn is the title that killed Captain America for me. <laughs> the regular series I had, I didn't care for the last issue at all. This came out after it and I decided I'm dropping the title. It, this is what killed Captain America for me was his rebirth. You know, and I hate to say that because I've read, um, I picked up the trade for incognito, which is also by Ed Brubaker. Yeah. I loved that. I've loved everything Brubaker's done up to this point on Captain America. Even Yeah, it's just, Around the time they started Rebirth, the regular series started going downhill for me as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of of Ed Brubaker. I mean, I loved what he's done on Daredevil. I've loved what he's done on Captain America. But that, you know, I think I only lasted one issue into Reborn. And uh, that was awful. It was issue yeah, one I or just, two. I just don't get how someone who I've consistently enjoyed made this book. Yeah. And I want to. I keep, I keep wanting to find a way to make an apology for him. You know, like, uh, you know. He was drunk. He was, uh, <laughs> you know, he had a stroke. <laughs> you know, it, it was his misery book. Someone, you know, had him in bed and they were breaking his legs and told him he had to write this crap. I mean, it was just, it was awful. I mean, they probably probably had to call it Captain America Afterbirth, you know, because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Captain America Afterbirth. I'd buy that book. <laughs> so, you know, what if we were writing Captain America? Captain America Afterbirth. <laughs> that will bring me back to the Captain America universe. <laughs> but I have to save some rage for a book later on in our discussion. Okay, so put your rage aside. Uh, Thor number 606 came out this week. This is the last book that Kieran Gillen's writing in his three-issue run for Thor. Next issue starts with the Matt Fraction run. Um, I think three of us read that one. Uh, what'd you guys think? I, well... Let me let me let me state that all other comic books I get in a month are appetizers, and Thor is the main course every single every single month. And Damn straight, this was not this did not disappoint. Um, I'm a little worried this might be the last last one that's going to be this good because of uh, Siege, but um, this was some serious Thor Doctor Doom beatdown going on, and uh, um, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the. I loved the part where uh, you know Baldur's kind of questioning his leadership of Asgard, and I like. I liked everything Loki did in this book, and I even liked the fact that Thor threw a jab at, at Norman Osborn, Tony Stark, and Doctor Doom all in one soliloquy. It was great. Uh, I, I enjoyed the issue. I, I, I did enjoy the issue. Uh, I don't have a lot to complain about, honestly. I I, uh, I thought it was well done. Um, I thought it was a good way to wrap up. Kieran Gillen's first arc and the J. Michael Straczynski stuff. I mean, J. Michael Straczynski, I think, was building up to something a little more epic than what right. it turned out to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Kieran Gillen did the best he could with the three issues he had and, um, you know, before Siege. And, uh, I, you know, I think it worked out pretty well. You know, it's uh, Thor's name is on the cover, but it, it's the other characters that make this book, yeah. I think. You know, it's, it's Balder and the Asgardians that I make thought- the book. I thought the moments with Balder were very were very nicely managed. You know, uh, he's dealing with a lot. You know, he he has been the Lord of Asgard since Thor was put into exile, and he hadn't done a very good job. You know, and so it's nice to see him kind of dealing with that. You know, I, I like the uh, the reveal of Doom. Yeah, uh, what Doom has going on at the end. Uh, I, I I'm curious to see where that goes. Now, I, I feel kind of stupid, but. Does Loki really have 
horns? No, and you know, I that I was stunned by that as well. And maybe that's a maybe that's just a a new uh, you know maybe that's a new representation of him. But you know, he also has if if you're looking on that last page, you know, there is a floating Loki head in the in the beaker, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the big jar, and it doesn't have horns. So I'm wondering if maybe that's a variation of what he's playing with in terms of uh, his DNA sample. Yeah, I mean, so, honestly, it's probably the only way to show that that's who he's cloning. Right. So but, since we're in the uh, topic of Loki, I'm kind of curious. Like I said, I picked up the first arc or two of the, uh, the Thor book when it came back, and Loki came back as female there. Right. At what point did he return male again? He got that all changed at the end. Was it at the end of JMS's run? It was near the end of JMS's yeah. run. Yeah, it was a little it, bit before. I've yeah. been wondering about that in all these Siege tie-ins because I thought he was still female. See, and I wish they'd just kept him female. I think he'd have been more, a little bit more interesting that way. You know, just yeah, in- I actually liked Loki as a female. Yeah. I mean, not like... <laughs> oh, no. You were ready to tap that. I was. I was ready to tap Loki duty. But no. Uh, but, you know, I thought... The and, you know, just think if she's got the horns, you know, if L- L- Lady Loki's got the horns, you can use that like handlebars. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, wow. So that from is- Thor titles, we get a... We get Thor upskirts and a transvestite Loki. <laughs> transvestite handlebars. <laughs> well, the way the way they did that was he was he had taken Sif's like Asgardian body, right. and I, I thought that 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 whole female Loki added a complexion to the relationship between him and Thor and Balder, and it was kind of a cool fu to Thor. Yeah, I thought so too. I I I, I really liked the dynamic that it put in there. Now, um. I will say to our listeners, if you're interested in finding out what's coming up on Thor, um, you know, check out our Mac Fraction interview in a couple of weeks because he's going to be writing Thor after Siege. Nice plug there, Paul. I thought so. <laughs> Killed the conversation. But uh... <laughs> so, so Captain America Reborn and uh, Thor this week were both books that really kind of lead into Siege. And now, you know, we're actually, you know, hip deep in, uh, in, in, in the Siege story with Avengers The Initiative number 32. Now, I had not been reading Avengers The Initiative, but uh, due to Wayne's very strong recommendations, uh, I picked up uh, 31, read that. We talked a little bit about that on the show, I think, and then uh, also 32 this week. Yeah. Now, I picked up 31 and 32 this week. Okay. Um, based on Wayne's recommendation. I I really loved both of them, actually. I, I thought they were extremely well written. I have to say 32 has been my favorite Siege tie-in so far of any of the titles Marvel's released. I, You know, one of the things that I, that I am enjoying very much about the Siege stories, and in particular Avengers The Initiative, is the the human reaction to fighting gods. You know, because so many times, you know, the Asgardians and the Greek gods in, in the Marvel Universe are, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're just big heroes. You know, they're just they're, they're not gods. They're not, you know, they're just, you know, big heroes. There's even a line of thing. Oh, you know, most of these Asgardians are just like Spider-Man. But, you know, then they're in the battlefield and people are like, holy crap. I mean, even Taskmaster is is on the battlefield going like mother of God. It's just I love they even have someone running away. Yeah, which is exactly what I would be doing. <laughs> you know yeah. what else I like from a reaction standpoint? I like seeing the basically the uh, the other heroes, Justice and them, watching on TV the news stories about Siege, and we kind of see how people are reacting to 
the UFOs being the ones that killed everyone, yet they're sitting there next to Norman Osborn fighting Thor. Yeah. Yes, I that is like something I really did that. like. You um, know, this is the first one that I, I picked up in this run, and it had Thor on the cover, so if you guys are keeping track, <laughs> it was a scythe on the cover. Anytime Thor's on the cover. Um, wow. This book was awesome. I, I love this book, and I think it's because you know, I, I kind of knew that the Taskmaster was was tied into these books, but I I was kind of thinking it was you know I wasn't sure what to think, and this was an awesome story. Yeah, I I I thoroughly enjoyed it, except for like the three pages where the like ex New Warriors were on it, but I just kind of skipped through those because the real story was Taskmaster and uh, Diamondback. So I, I was- got such a huge kick out of. In the middle of the Thor fight, Taskmaster jumping down and hitting him once just so he could say, yeah. I was there. I was a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was there. I was there. Take my picture. I like the constrictor's line. We're, we're walking into a wood chipper or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, don't you know if, if, you were, if you were part of the party that you know, took down Thor, wouldn't you be taking those kinds of pictures like deer hunters take, you know, where you're, you're holding the, the, antler, the, the deer by the antlers and you know, hovering over it? You know, hey, you know, look at what I shot. I would be doing the same thing with Thor. I'd be holding him by that winged helmet. Hey, look, you know, that's what I would be doing. I, I don't think I would because how many times has he died and come back? And you know when he comes back and sees that picture of you holding him, you're going to have a pissed God. Yeah, he has a cup of coffee with Hella and then he's back up. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then he comes up and he sees you drawing penises on his face while he's asleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I will say <laughs> I will say that this was a better representation, I thought, of Thor being taken down than in the actual siege book. This felt more authentic to me of, you know, the fact that they were actually able to take him down with the people that they had there. Absolutely. Yeah. I can I can buy I can buy what happened in, in initiative 32. I cannot buy the UFOs. I'm sorry. Yeah. But you know, that's why this book, I, th- I think I liked it so much is it answered all the questions and, you know, resolved all the issues I had with siege number one. Yeah. You know, there was, there really was, Oh, you know, the, someone, you know, it's not like everyone's stupid. People do realize that the UFOs were at the, the battle with Volstag. Yeah. Volstag. yeah. yeah they, they, you know, they, they do make that connection. And, um, I, I, I like, you know, there, there's so much more story here than there is in Siege. And that's not a bump on Siege, you know, cause I, I liked Siege number one as well. But I'd venture to say I enjoyed this issue more than I enjoyed Siege number one. I would You agree. know what I like about this as a tie in? The same thing we were talking about with the Green Lantern earlier is as you're looking through, you see pages that happen in the main story to give you kind of points of here's where it's at in the story. Yeah, a time marker. Yeah. And everything seems like it fits between the pages of the larger story. And that's how I like my tie-ins, to just expand on the story that's being told in the mini. Yeah. Now, of course, then you have tie-ins in name only. <laughs> <laughs> would that possibly be New Avengers number 61, Paul? It most certainly would. <laughs> uh, are, are we ready for me on this one? Or I think, should I let you guys go first? I think we're ready for you. All right. So, I will start off by saying that I haven't read all of my comics. I mean, I've read all the comics we're going to talk about today, but I didn't read all the comics I bought this week because I read Captain America Reborn and New Avengers number 61 um, in a row. 
And I just couldn't <laughs> read any more after that. I couldn't, I, I could not read another comic book after these two. I was disgusted. <laughs> okay. So new Avengers number 61, which has siege on the cover and literally has nothing to do with siege. And not only does it have nothing to do with siege. So I'm pissed off enough that they misled us in saying this was a siege tie-in that has nothing to do with siege. And, you know, it's written by Bendis, so you think it would have something to do with Siege, as opposed to Avengers the Initiative, written by Christos Gage. But no, it has nothing to do with Siege. Not only that, this is the date night book that Marvel solicited a couple <laughs> of months ago. <laughs> yeah, I read – when I was reading that, I'm like, huh. I think Paul's yeah. going to have something to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they – um. They obviously delayed that book. And, you know, I think, honestly, I think they had enough story. I think they had two different issues. And what they did is they took half of a story from one issue and half of a story from another issue and put them together so that they got, you know, so that basically they have two concurrent stories. Well, and the credits page bears you out on that. I mean, take a look at the front page. Uh, you've got Stuart Amonin on, on pencils, but then you've got Daniel Acuna who, or Acuna, as the artist for pages 9 and 11, 15 to 17, 22 to 44. You've got, uh, you know, different uh, colorists. I mean, it's there are a whole lot of people working this book. So I, I think you're right. I think some things were kind of spliced together. Yeah, exactly. I think these were two issues that were spliced together to make one, or two stories that were spliced together to make one story. Um, I really think this was the date night book, and they just – you know, continued with whatever storyline they had going. I guess it was the Luke Cage thing. Um, and delayed that till this book. And then through a siege thing on the cover, which is just insult to injury because this was never planned to be a siege tie-in. And now they're saying it is, even though it has nothing to do with it. Well, it's got a little bit to do with siege. I mean, they are seeing everything being mobilized over at Avengers tower, which is what spider woman and Spider-Man are seeing. Yeah, but that could be anything. There's oh, like they even said, there's something always going on at Avengers tower. True. True. I, uh, I just, I mean, and don't get me wrong. It's actually not a horrible issue, but I will say even without all my anger surrounding all the stupid stuff, that Marvel pulled on us for this one. It's not even a great issue. You know, I, I, if you pull out the captain America crap in this book, which I really disliked and you just had the, the Spider-Man spider woman pages, I would have really enjoyed it. You know, and then, but it was all the non Spider-Man spider woman stuff that I didn't care for, but them just sitting around talking and, you know, are we on a date? (laughs) You know, I, I rather enjoyed. I I liked the conversation they had where Spider-Man's trying to hit on her. Yeah. And she's like, I thought you were married. Yeah, that was an interesting comment. Yeah, I, I, I liked that. And you know what? She probably, because I, I maybe because she was off world, you know, for Secret Invasion and all that, maybe she's not affected by. Maybe. Um, by the Meph- Mephisto thing. By Mephisto. You know, thing. that leads to a question I have that we haven't, I don't know if we'll ever see or not, but over in uh, Dark X Men, now that Nate Gray is back. He wasn't around when Spider-Man made the deal with Mephisto, Mm -hmm. and he was close friends with Peter and Mary Jane. So I have this hope that he's going to come in and walk up to him and say, hey, where's your wife? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only him, but Steve Rogers was dead at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because he died right after Civil War. Yeah. You know, that was the one line that I actually did like in Captain America Reborn, as bad as the horrible title was, (laughs) was when someone talks about Osborne's Avengers, and he goes, 
Osborne has Avengers. <laughs> well, you know, something that we haven't mentioned, and, and it's not in the pages of New Avengers, but it is over in Avengers Initiative, and it's the center spread advertisement for Amazing Spider-Man 2010. And, you know, it's got this very big image, and there's Peter Parker as Spider-Man reaching out to Mary Jane in her wedding dress. That image gives me hope for good Spider-Man stories coming up. And I... I, I, I have you not learned (laughs) have you learned nothing you are going to get smacked on the hand again probably it's yeah oh well yeah look at that oh it's pretty art um oh you know what it it might be good no it's not it is not going to be good i promise you it is not going to be good you heard it here first (laughs) you heard it here first Paul's predictions, 2010, Amazing Spider-Man, will continue to suck un- until or unless it goes back down to once a month with a regular team working on it. But that won't happen in 2010, so it'll suck. Yeah, I love this picture spread, though. I mean, you've got the juggernaut passed out. You've got, you know, there's babies on there. Because we're all about the babies? <laughs> well, it makes me, I was a big fan of Spider-Girl, so when I see oh, a baby... Yeah. On any Spider-Man picture, it makes me wonder if maybe they're going to bring that character back in. Well, like and, the baby and, version. I saw that and I was like, "Huh, Mary Jane in the wedding dress." Huh. So I, I, I am cautiously optimistic that perhaps we'll see an end to the Mephisto thing, but I have a hard time believing that uh, Marvel's going to back off from that story. They they have been really behind it, and I'm hoping that it's that that this is marking an end to it, but I don't think it's gonna. I don't think so. Yeah. And you know, the only reason I'll say that, well, there's two reasons I'll say that. My prediction is that this doesn't necessarily involve Mephisto. I think, right. you know, Mary Jane's single. Maybe she'll be getting married, um, you know, this year, you know, to someone else. But Mephisto's not in this teaser image either. True. Yep. You know, and if they have really they ever, wanted to tie it together, he would be. Have they ever dealt with why Peter and Mary Jane broke up? I don't think so. I wonder if that's what they're getting at here. You know, I got this really bad feeling like you do, Paul. Like they're getting all the Spider-Man close fans a little bit closer with the carrot so that they can get in range to get hit by the stick again. Exactly. Yeah. Like Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Quesada is probably going to bruise me again this year. <laughs> well, a true sign of the end times, I picked up Batman and Robin number seven. And you loved the hell out of it, didn't you? No, no, this was excruciating. The this hell was not loved. That, no, it was not. I, 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 wow, I really, really strongly disliked this book. Um, I, I, the only reason I picked it up is because, you know, all the press on it has been that it strongly is related to Blackest Night and the return of Bruce Wayne. And, uh, so I picked it up. What was refreshing was that Damien, other than having a Luke Skywalker floating in the jar moment, really isn't in the book, which is nice. Um, but, you know, because we can't have uh, the book without somebody, uh, an obnoxious teenager in it, uh, we've got, I don't even know what the hell her name is. The, uh, the Squire. The Squire. Mm-hmm. Truly disliked her. Disliked everything that occurred in London in this book. You know I have a habit of liking annoying female characters. I can happily say this is not one of them. I don't like Squire either. Yeah, I just 
really disliked her. I didn't even, you know, as much as I like Batwoman, did not care for her appearance in, in the book. You know that's not Bruce Wayne coming out of that Lazarus pit at the yeah. end. No, and seriously, Lazarus pits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of things to say about this book. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> right. Now I'm ready. No, because this was actually the best issue of Batman and Robin so far. (laughs) Now it still wasn't good, but it's been the best issue so far. Um, You're not selling me on this book, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I liked the art. The art was actually rather nice. I actually like the Squire. Uh, I've always liked the Squire. I don't know why. I have always liked the Squire. I liked little parkour sequence at the beginning with Batman. You know, hey, Aaron, since he likes the Squire, can I get one of my check marks erased and you move one over to him? I absolutely. Here, let me do that right <laughs> now. <laughs> Done. Now, I will say the the thing that took me totally out of the book, besides Batwoman's super, super coincidental appearance in freaking London, of all places. Yeah, I, I, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I just happened to be here at the same time in a coffin. Yeah. Um, is the fact that Dick Grayson is using a Lazarus pit to revive Bruce Wayne? Wait, really? It doesn't that kind of go against <laughs> everything that we've read? I mean, does anybody remember the resurrection of Ray Shagul? Yeah, where there was a big fight with Tim, and um, it might have been Dick Grayson to keep Tim from resurrecting his parents. Yeah, in the Lazarus pit. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, we all know this is a, a supremely bad idea. And, you know, uh, Batman is, is you know, walking down the steps going, well, you know, my job is always to get him out of things and yada, yada. And, you know, how can I not do this? And I'm like, hey, hey, simple. <laughs> He's going to come out nuttier than a, a fruitcake. Don't do it. And that besides that, I'm really curious about is who's who that is actually going to be. Yeah. Whose body that is, because if Bruce Wayne's lost in time, that's not Bruce Wayne. That's right. And it's just not going to be that easy. It's just not going to be that easy. So I, I'm, I'm and curious. Seriously, who is left to come back from the dead at this point? Well, no one, because they're all Black Lanterns, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to, the only way to to kill a Black Lantern apparently is to disintegrate their body. So they definitely won't be coming back after that. Now I will give ups to this book for one thing. I have never, ever, ever seen. Not just dominoes played in a comic book before, but Mexican train dominoes played in a comic book before. And the fact that Batman played <laughs> Mexican train dominoes uh, with the guy um, and then used that as the clue. I thought that was actually rather clever. So um, I, I, I will give it props for the use of Mexican train dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> But that's all it had going for it. God, I hated this book. But you're buying issue number eight. You are buying it because you want to know if I'm who's on, that, whose body I, that is. You're 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 absolutely right. I'm on for eight and nine, and but I'm gonna I'm gonna swear about it the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll probably give these shitty books away to somebody on the website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there was another Batman book this week, uh, Detective Comics number eight sixty one. The first non-J.H. Williams issue of the Ruck, of the Rucka Run. Yeah, yeah, I read that one. I think I'm the only one who read that one this week. Yep. It was hard not having J.H. Williams the third on the book. 
It really was. It is a big shift from uh, from Williams to, to Jock. I have to say, it, it, it. I had a hard time with it. I think they they made the right decision. It's this is not solely a Batwoman story. It's a Batman Batwoman story, and so uh, uh, it really does have more Batman in it than Batwoman. And I'm fine with the representation of Batman by by the artist. I had a little problem with with uh, Batwoman. She just she doesn't look as put together as. Uh, she has in in the uh, well, both in fifty two and in the previous uh, Batwoman or Detective Comics, she just she just doesn't look right. I mean, her hair's all crazy and everything, and uh, her body's kind of herky jerky, and I just don't care for it. Just don't care for it one little bit. Story was good. I'm interested in the story. Uh, I'm interested in the villain. The villain is uh, somebody called the Cutter, who appears to be building sorry, who appears to be building his own woman from parts he takes from other women, um, you know, like cutting off ears, cutting out their eyes, their nose, their jaw, etc. So he's, it looks like he's building some kind of bride of Frankenstein. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, it's not the first time we've seen that story, but I'm kind of curious about it. Um, you know, Greg Rucka is, is a terrific writer and, and, you know, there's really nothing wrong, nothing that, that you can complain about on the story. It was just the art just really was herky jerky. But the good news is, is that it was a nice, sizable co-feature this week with uh, uh, The Question and The Huntress. And I really enjoyed that story. Cully Hamner rocks those pages. He is just better and better every month on The Question. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that Um, and excited to see where it goes. Now, something that has been in the back of several DC books this week are the uh, preview pages for First Wave. And I did not pick up the uh, Batman Doc Savage uh, preview just because I I was not thrilled with the preview art. But some of the other uh, uh, First Wave stuff looks great. Like, for instance, uh, the spirit looks... I'm just loving the pencils that they're showing on that. And you know, even the pencils for Doc Savage and the Batman, I kind of like the way they're they're depicting uh, the way Batman's going to be. Did you guys look at those at all? Yeah, I did. I, I looked at it in the Blackest Night JSA book, and I uh-huh. almost mentioned it when we were talking about that. I think I may be picking up some of these books when they come out. I think so, too. I think so, yeah. too. I'm, I'm really curious about them. See, I want to, <laughs> but I read that Batman spirit. Yeah. And, you know, I don't care if Rags Morales is drawing first wave, you know, because, you know, Rags Morales, is, he's great. But, you know, it's still got Brian Azzarello on the story. I just don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't want to. I, I don't want to get my hopes up and have like a Wayne Spider-Man moment. <laughs> I, I've been burned. I have been burned. I made my comic shop order Batman Spirit specifically for me because he had sold out. You know, Azarella's burned me a few times too. So, so I, 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 I am trepidatious. Well, they're they're they're, they're, they're very smart in previewing the Rags Morales uh, pencils because. Those are sharp. I, I'm looking at that going, oh, I, I could I could really dig that. You know, I, I could really dig that. So I'm, I'm curious about it. I'm not going to put it on my pull list, but I will thumb through it in the comic shop and, and see if it draws me in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to buy just as much stuff just thumbing through it as I do on my pull list. True. True. Yeah. So you another – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, no. I, I, I think we were transitioning to the same book, <laughs> um, a, a book that – I'm glad it's over. 
uh, is World's Finest, the uh, miniseries, the very uneven miniseries. Yeah. Uh, this issue, written by series regular Sterling Gates, uh, with artist Phil Noto. What'd you think? I love the Phil Noto artwork. I absolutely dug the Phil Noto artwork. I, I liked how uh, he represented all the characters. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did not... It, it, you're absolutely right. The series has been very uneven. I mean, we, we have talked about every single issue in this, in this series and, you know, we've loved some, we've hated some. Um, I liked this one and I think I may have liked it a little bit more than you simply because I have been so far outside of the Superman universe and this book kind of explains some stuff that, you know, I've, I've just kind of been seeing from the edges cause I'm not reading those Superman books. I, I I have a complaint, and this is a complaint I have anytime Kryptonite appears, um, is that every time Superman or Supergirl or any Kryptonian encounters Kryptonite, the effect of it is always a little bit different. You know, sometimes he walks into a, into a room and there's a, a little rock of Kryptonite, and bam, he's unconscious and he's not not able to do anything. Other times he's able to fight through it, and he's got several minutes that he can do something, even though his powers are beginning to wane. And you would think. That, you know, you get so close to the kryptonite man, you'd be pretty much shut down. And that, that bugged me in the book. The, the, the whole kryptonite aspect of it, you know, Supergirl is pa- practically passed out and Superman's still tearing up things, you know, right. carrying the kryptonite man. And it's just, you know, I, 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 that caught me a little off guard. It took me out of the story a little bit. That, mm-hmm. You know, there's so much kryptonite and Superman's just there you know, yeah doing fine yeah he just, you know, feels a little queasy but he's good yeah now there yeah, is there was one panel that i really enjoyed in the book and you know batgirl is is falling presumably to her death and you know damian robin uh comes swinging in to save her and uh he, he says you know how do you swing around gotham weighing this much criminals probably call you fat girl <laughs> <laughs> uh that tickled me <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I liked to, um, Supergirl reprimanding him for it at the end yeah. of the book. Yeah. There were some good character moments. I, I was a little pissed that it's essentially a, a, a backdoor tie-in yeah. uh, to, I guess, War of the Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. Um, the ending just kind of, you know, it, it doesn't really resolve much other than the giant robot, which I guess was the story. But I liked it feeling like a self-contained series. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's obviously not. I, as a whole, I you know I I think the writing was 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 pretty on throughout the entire series. I, I got to tell you, the art was so uneven. I don't know how you could buy this book collected. You know. Yeah, I don't know if it would work as a collected edition. It really just, I don't know. Yeah. But overall, I I'm glad it ended with issue four. I don't think I would have stuck with it if I knew if it was, if it was going to be a longer series than that. Right. Right. But I, I feel I feel better uh, better acquainted with what's going on in Superman than I did before, and I, and I think that was that was valuable to me because you know I've not read any of those World of New Krypton books or anything in the Superman books for a long, long time. So so that was helpful to me. Yeah. Well, you know, another miniseries that I wish that I wish I had stopped buying. <laughs> and, and I just sound all sorts of angry this week, but I'm really not. I love Green Lantern number fifty. And Avengers the Initiative. So I love two books this week out uh-huh. of my $50 buy pile. Um, Justice League Cry for Justice number six came out this week. 
um, and it's got Prometheus throwing a CD on the cover. Yeah, what's up with that? I mean, yeah, I, that is straight up a CD. Yeah, well, or a DVD. Or a DVD. I mean, he he could be throwing, uh, you know, the 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 Punisher War Journal at you. <laughs> <laughs> Here, have you this know, Punisher movie. <laughs> yeah, you know what I think it is. Over in Marvel, they have the whole deal about mail back these DC books without their covers. <laughs> so in DC, they just have their characters throwing around Marvel movies. There you go. <laughs> Here, have that Captain America movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one is a killer. Yeah. Well, let's not. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go into that because then we can talk about the Fantastic Four movie. Ugh. Not the Ugh. recent one. The one by Roger Corman. Or even the recent one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just as we cry for justice, uh, changed up artist, uh, Mauro Cascioli is uh, not the artist on this book, but Scott Clark, I think, does a serviceable interpretation of uh, Cascioli's art. There's why not did they, that much of a difference. Was there anything written as to why they changed up the artists? I mean, was 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 uh, Cascioli just not able to deliver? Is that why the book was so delayed? Probably. Because uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to say yes, even though there's nothing official on it. Officially, I'm saying yes. <laughs> okay. Paul, Paul says. Ponte, on <laughs> courtesy of DC Comics, says that Mauro Cascioli I think I think he apes Cascioli's style uh, adequately. But for me, I was like, wow, these pages aren't nearly as cool as the pages in the other books of Cry for Justice. Because, you know, when I wasn't satisfied with the story, uh, I could always go, wow, but doesn't Con Gorilla look awesome? (laughs) You know, and there wasn't a single moment in this book where I thought, Wow, that's a beautiful page. In fact, there are several pages in this book that I hated looking at. Like the Adam page? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I and I understand what they're trying to accomplish there, but it just it just looks stupid as opposed to looking painful. Yeah, and, it, and so people know what we're talking about. Um Prometheus basically Fs up the entire Justice League um with his CDs. And uh, <laughs> or with his DVDs. Um and uh he takes the Adam and basically makes him you know, it fluctuates his powers, so some parts of him grow, some parts of him stay tiny. Yeah. And it is the most awkward looking panel I've ever seen. Yeah. Um it it really is just very awkward looking. I'd I say just you know can't imagine Prometheus taking out the entire Justice League. It just you know doesn't what? seem right. No, it doesn't, and that's my big complaint on the book. That and when Paul says that Prometheus has taken people out with his DVDs, when Paul says it, it just sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, not only that, the, the, the fight sequence, you know, it's one guy taking out the entire Justice League, and it's really not a good fight scene. No. It reads very awkwardly because, you know, you've got Prometheus who's doing like um, – he has kind of a, an Amazo type thing. Like, oh, this is how you take out this character. This is how you take out this character. And it's just it, – it doesn't flow very well. Um, Do you if think anything, they were trying to – re- looks stupid. Do you think they were trying to recapture what they did with Deathstroke and uh, uh, way back in Identity Crisis? Yeah, I, I would say it, you know I, I would compare it to that, except that that was a good scene. This was not, I, yeah. and I'm sorry, maybe Aaron liked it. No, I didn't. And I know I, I, I raged you read Paul this week, um, but I, I did not like Cry for Justice number six. I only like two pages in the book, and it's when uh, Donna Troy beats the hell out of Prometheus. I, you know, I. 
I didn't like the book, uh, which is hard for me to say because I really do enjoy James Robinson. But uh, I don't. A, a lot of it goes to the fact that I don't like Prometheus. I don't like his uh, his you know costume. I mean, I just think it looks stupid and doesn't really play into what he does. In fact, there, there's this one scene where he is you know spread out on the floor where he got shot by. Uh, uh, Green Arrow, and it looks very much like he's made himself look like Donna Troy, right? Yeah, that's what I got out of it. And so, you know, Green Arrow looks down at her and goes, Donna. So, why does he turn his back on Donna? Because now all of a sudden, you know, uh, who's his face is, is, is back up. And so I'm like, well, did he create an illusion of Donna on the floor and he somehow got behind Green Arrow? I mean, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, because... Well- I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, the, the fight swing, ju- it just read very awkwardly. You know, the whole Freddy, you know, apparently he was masquerading as Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Uh, the whole time. But, you know, uh, how does he have Freddie Freeman's powers? You know, yeah. Prometheus doesn't fly. Yeah. It just, it, it really just kind of, yeah. And, you know, he's walking around with his stupid purple costume with his gold things on it. Well, and, and as, as much as I, disliked the book um you know one of the things that we we have enjoyed about this series are are the um essays by james robinson at the back of the book and i did not like the essay at all in fact the essay was him just kind of talking about jeff johns and how cool jeff johns is and i'm like well what the hell does jeff johns have to do with this book yeah you know what the hell um he did explain why batwoman didn't make a larger appearance when she was uh you know uh, advertised as being part of the book um, I, I don't like this book. I don't like this book and I'm still on to pick up number seven, though. There's really no reason to exactly because the ending is in justice league of America. Number 41. Yeah. Yeah. And that's boy. <laughs> yeah. There is a very captain America reborn. This is worse than, than what happened with captain America reborn. I'm going to say that right now. It is actually worse because at least they kept some of the stuff secret. Yeah. Um, from captain America reborn. And you know they they just pretty like much the said giant yes, Steve red Rogers skull robot. <laughs> they didn't spoil the giant red skull robot for us. Yeah, and well, and they didn't spoil the vision of the future. This literally spoils exactly what happens at the end. Yeah, of Justice League, Cry for Justice. Yeah, I, I seriously, what the hell? If yeah. you're reading Justice League, Cry for Justice, you're gonna pick up Justice League of America. Uh, what were they? I mean, and they gave us how many books of filler to just, re, you know, for for the span of four weeks to have ruined the ending for their you know miniseries that's been going on for forever. I I am was stunned by that. I I, I, I we have talked about how well DC has managed the Blackest Night crossover. They couldn't manage the time frames on the miniseries versus Justice League of America. Yeah, and they, you know, not only that, I mean. I I am honestly thinking I'm not going to pick up, even though I've picked up six of the seven issues, I probably won't pick up Cry for Justice number seven. There is absolutely no need. I haven't enjoyed the series. Yeah. And now I know how it ends. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'll pick up number seven, hoping that it redeems it. But uh, I am so disappointed on how much they revealed about the end of that storyline in 41. Yeah. Well, not only that, Justice League of America number 41 is disappointing. I did not care for this book. Yeah, it's it's the whole let's get the band together kind of book, you know, and they're they're out recruiting their their team. 
I think there's too many Titans that are going to be on this new Justice Society team or Justice League team. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on, I, I've always enjoyed Donna Troy, but I enjoyed Donna Troy as Wonder Girl. Uh, I'm not sure that I enjoy her quite so much as Troya or whatever she's going by now. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it didn't really read that well. You know, one thing that, you know, you can have a getting the band together book, um, but it worked so well, you know, it worked so well in New Avengers because Bendis had this grasp of dialogue and it yeah. was funny and interesting and exciting. And this book is none of those things. And I feel bad saying that for James Robinson because I do like James Robinson from time to time, but he, he had two misses this week with me. Yeah. Um, you know, because the first half of this book I thought was atrocious. I, I, you know, once Batman popped up, um, and, and even the Superman scene or Monel scene, which if you don't know who Monel is, you're not going to know what's going on there because they don't say his name is Monel. Right. They just show him in his new costume. You know, for all you know, it's just Red Superman. Right. Well, and did the last page seem a little strange to you that, you know, Green Lantern and Batman are there having an intervention with Green Arrow? And, you know, Green Lantern obviously is very closely tied to, to uh, Green Arrow, but Dick Grayson is not. You know, Dick, yeah. Dick Grayson and Oliver Queen don't have this personal relationship, you know, uh, that, that is a, a deep and abiding friendship. So I just thought that Batman was a little strangely placed in that panel. Yeah, I um, there, there, there was a lot to dislike about this book. And, and I know this is – maybe I'm the only one who noticed this, but I felt it was a little sexist too. How so? Well, in that Superman is fighting a giant red skull robot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not really, but you know what I'm saying. You know, Batman <laughs> is fighting a large room of criminals. Um, hold on, hold on. It's the atomic skull. There's a big difference between <laughs> the right. atomic skull and a red skull robot. I mean, sure, they both have red skulls and they're a little robotic, but there's a big difference, Paul. There is, there is an adjective. Yeah. Um, so you know you've got Batman and Robin fighting criminals. Green Lantern's kicking some ass. Donna Troy is walking around saying, "I don't want to be a hero." Oh, but there's kids involved. I'll go save the kids from the orphanage. It's like <laughs> it, it, that's the mission you gave Donna Troy. Everyone else is kicking ass and taking names and effing stuff up, and Donna Troy's like. I have to go save the children, even though I don't want to be a hero. It just felt a little sexist to me that that's the mission they chose to show off her skills, as opposed to what they showed, how they showed, you know, Superman and Batman. Yeah, I, I, I didn't take issue with her going and saving kids because, you know, she is the uh, a big part of her character of late has been the fact that, you know, her uh, ex-husband and child died. Um I had I took issue with the fact that with the whole eh, I don't want to be a hero anymore. The world's bad. Eh, I don't want to be a hero. And I'm like, come on, let's not waste any pages on that. Yeah, and she wasn't the only character who did it. Doctor Light did it too. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Doctor Light is like, I don't know, you know, Doctor's like, is I'm not in your Justice League. And then Donna Troy says, Yes, you are. And that's the resolution of Doctor Light's storyline. Apparently, yeah. I just it, the. It was. It felt sloppily put together, and there was some great art. Um, I by Mark Bagley. Bagley rocked it. He he did. A, I, these pages are, are really very pretty. I'm sorry that the story doesn't uh, doesn't 
you know, help it out any. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, in fact, I would say, you know, the last half of the book was really kind of working for me, you know, with Batman and Monel and, you know, the, the art seemed to get better in that last half. But, you know, the first half of the book, you had Donna Troy being whiny. You had yeah. a flashback to Virginia in 1777. It was a little – it was strangely put together. Well, and, you know, I, I, I'm thinking that maybe this is a trend that we're going to be seeing uh, throughout this run is Dr. Light with her clothes off. Yes. What's up with that? Well, maybe I should go back to reading this then. <laughs> well, you know, there's this. Uh, she. I just you know, woke up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, zombie Doctor Light. You know, blasted all of her clothes off in the Blackest Night uh, uh, stories of JLA. And in uh, this book, we see her going and taking her her top off, and you know, to go into to change clothes. And I'm like, what's up? Why are we seeing so much of uh, Doctor Light's skin lately? You know. Not that I'm complaining, but uh, I, I just I, <laughs> I it's like James Robinson's like, oh, I'm put totally putting a scene in with, uh, you know, Dr. Light without a top on, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's there's got to be an excuse in at least every oh, issue. And uh, let's just say that Donna Troy's chest is absolutely ridiculous in this book. Yes, it is. I mean, it is power girl level ridiculous in this book. I not mean, that that's a bad thing. No, I'm not complaining about that either. But, you know, come on. Because we've that that's not ever been something that uh, for Donna Troy that's been you know <laughs> her leading characteristic as it were, but you know wow yeah overall I understand yeah. they're they're changing her uh, her uh, her her superhero name to Mother Jugs Aplenty so <laughs> <laughs> so despite the fact that there was tons of breasts in this book and boobies boobies. Um, it, it really just, it, it didn't work for me and I want it to work for me. Justice mm-hmm. League, you know, I want that to work as a concept, but I just, I did not care for this book. Yeah. Well, I know that Wayne went and bought himself his very own copy of Fantastic Four 575 after listening to our Jonathan Hickman interview. Yep. There were two things that spawned it. The interview interested me quite a bit. But then as I'm reading through my books this week, I keep coming across the same ad from Marvel. It is a one-page ad that shows a dead Galactus underground with a Fantastic Four vehicle of some sort above it. No no real words describing what happens. And I'm thinking, if that would have been a cover, I would have picked up that book. So I ran out last night, and I picked up the book and read it. What would you think? I enjoyed it. That one page ad has nothing to do with the story at all. <laughs> it is a one it is actually one page directly from the comic. Yeah. But I basically this has taken the place of Captain America on my list. Since I've dropped Captain America now, I'm gonna be picking up Fantastic Four for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I you know, the uh <laughs> I suspect we'll be coming back to the uh the the body of Galactus image at some point. I think that I think that was there for two things was just to say, hey, how cool is this? And two, you know, I, I there's gotta be there, there's gotta be something that Hickman's gonna be doing with that. Cause I think that he is right now placing a lot of seeds throughout the story for him to come back and revisit. Yeah, my image with that is 
my issue with that image is I don't know anything about that storyline with the future Galactus. Yeah, I don't either. So as they're talking about it and they just kind of hand wave it off. Oh, yeah, that's where I buried future Galactus. I'm left wondering there was a future Galactus that's dead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm completely at a loss there. I'm also at a loss as to how the Mole Man can continue or not the Mole Man. One of the Moloids can continue talking after you've disembodied his head. Yep. <laughs> I had one uh, I had one other complaint about the book and it wasn't about you know the story or the art or any of that it was I when I started I'm looking for that one page in the beginning that gives you the basically the rundown of everything that's come before Yeah and you didn't get that one Yeah it is had, in there You had to dig further in yeah Yeah so I'm looking for it in the beginning because I haven't been reading the title cuz I actually want to catch up and I just assume it's not in there till I'm three or four pages in and there it is I would have liked that I would have liked for that to have been further near the beginning. Yeah, I, and I wonder why they placed it differently. Because, you know, that first page isn't that awe-inspiring. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't understand why they did that. Yeah, and for Paul, the uh, in this case, they don't send the woman to go rescue the kids. They send the thing. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's so difficult. Why can't Batman save children from the orphanage? Because Batman always says, screw the kids. Yeah, and Batman doesn't have boobs. Thing's head kind of looks like he has boobs when he's rescuing the kids. True, yeah, because he's he's doing that whole devolving thing. Yeah. So you know, um, it seemed like the story was told rather fast. Um, you know, we got to saw, see a lot of cool stuff, and that was one of the things that I remarked to Hickman in, in the interview is that that's there really is a sense of wonder in this book. You know, you're sitting there watching him just do and see really cool things. You know, it I, felt like some of the old Fantastic Four stories from the seventies. It did. Like. It did. I, I I completely dug this book, and you know, as they're entering into the city of the High Evolutionary. Uh, towards the end of the book, you know, you see that the high evolution, high evolutionary has erected giant statues of himself on either side of these massive gates. Who does that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you come over to my house, I don't have these massive statues of me outside my front door, though. I might do that now. Yeah. I was very surprised by the end of this book because I thought it was going to be a big lead up and that they'd spend a couple issues in the city. And I really was only forward to a couple of issues in the city. And mm-hmm. it was more of a, this is a setup for yeah. something further. I, I kind of dug the way they ended the story though. You know, you've got the, the big page, you know, revealing the city and I, I need him to be a little bit more clear on where that is actually. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, the, the little, uh, executive summary at the end on on how the the story wound up. You know, bullet points. You know, one hour and twenty three minutes after leaving the city, Ben Grimm reverted to his non devolved state. You know, just kind of running through point by point. Uh, I just yeah. I, I liked it. Did you read the letters I liked page it too? I didn't read the letters page. I did read that one page you were talking about though, and I got a big kick out of that because we don't need to see those actually in the story, right? But it's good information going forward. It is. It is. I, I, I really like the book. I'm excited to see where it's going. It was a done-in-one book, just like the uh, previous issue was. Um, I, I, I do enjoy those done-in-one stories. Um, the letters page uh, has two letters that take Jonathan Hickman to task for having Val, you know, the Reed, Reed and Sue's daughter, call somebody a retard, call her brother a retard. And, you know, there, there was the, 
one of them was just went on and on about how insensitive it is to use that word. And, you know, essentially it's hate speech, yada, yada. And, you know, Hickman's like, Hey, you know, um, kids do and say awful things. That's what I'm writing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And and it was actually, I think it would have been easy to say, Hey, moron, this is the way kids talk. Cause that is the way kids talk. Um, I mean, that's just retarded that people would find issue with that. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually what's called the task for calling something retarded. And yeah, it's, I have no patience for political correctness and I definitely don't want it in my comics. So by all means, they can call anyone retarded. They want to call retarded. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, Hickman was, uh, I, I really enjoyed his response because he was like, you know, my job is to entertain and I'm sorry that I didn't do that for you. You know, was, I, I hope you'll come back and I hope you'll see, uh, uh, things in the book that you do like, you know, but, uh, this is the way kids talk and this is the way I write. And I, I wouldn't, I couldn't write any other way. You know, I was just a very, you know, he, he was apologetic in terms of, I'm sorry you were offended by what I said. I'm sorry that you weren't entertained, but don't expect me to change what I'm doing. Yeah. My sister works with the mentally handicapped and works in a, basically a halfway house rehabilitating him. And I have no problem using that word. Just so, to- so those yeah, are uh, write those letters to Wayne at feartheboot.com <laughs> <laughs> or IOMPaul <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> and make sure in the subject line it says retarded. <laughs> <laughs> or insensitive bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. right. that's how I'm gonna set up my spam filter. Okay, oh, so if that were the only thing I was called an insensitive bastard for, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tim's on the show today, which means we are talking about the Teen Titans, and so uh, the rest of us can take a bathroom break. That's right. Yeah, Tim. Yeah. Who's Tim? Well, yeah, Tim. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, you got that check right? That's right. Check cleared. Okay. It did. It did. Yeah. Um. For everybody else, I I might have fiscally motivated Aaron to. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, just to kind of update everybody, this uh, this is the end. That was the last issue was the last part of the Blackest Night updates for Teen Titans, and this jumps back into the um, the, the storyline. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember if I touched on this last time, but I got into Teen Titans when um, members of Young Justice kind of um, graduated into the new Teen Titans, you know, eighty some issues ago, and. Uh, now the only person left in that group it might be my guilty female hero, which is uh, Wonder Girl, Cassie Sandsmark. So, and she's kind of the leader of the team, and the storyline is evolving around the fact that Cyborg asked Beast Boy to come back to this team, and Beast Boy seemed to think that Cyborg asked him to do that to lead the team, and so the first part of the story is Cassie uh, kind of taking Cyborg and speaking to him and going, "What what's up?" And uh, she kind of gets a motivational speech from Cyborg and comes back. And it's kind of a weird team because of the fact that you've got Beast Boy and Raven now on this team, along with some of the um, members that they kind of uh, freed from the, the Dark Side Club, which is Static and Aqua Girl. And this issue specifically is dealing with the kind of merged team kind of situation and the questionable leadership. but. More than that, it kind of revolves around Static, who kind of jumped into this book um, with with the train running, so to speak. So you didn't get a whole lot of interaction with him other than him throwing a jab at Blue Beetle or or uh, Kid Devil. But 
Um, so I kind of enjoyed the, the storyline about Static because he's he's returning to Dakota City because there's some kind of um, some kind of virus happening, and he feels the need to go back to his roots. And there's a lot of a storyline that I think Static fans would like about him reconnecting with um, some of the old uh, characters that he knew in Dakota City. Um, and it wasn't necessarily lost on me, but it was kind of new to me. So I'm kind of interested to see where we go from here. Um, so I, I, I like the book. I, I kind of think it's in a transitional state right now. So I'm kind of trying to see, I'm not sure when it's going to get to back to the point where I feel like it's, I don't want to say solid ground, but you kind of know where to expect. Right. You know, I read the old milestone static stuff and it was it was good, but I have to say I like Static much better in the cartoons than I have in any comic store he's been in. They did a really good job with him in some of the crossovers with Justice League, and his own show wasn't too bad, but he was really good in, over in uh, J- Justice League Unlimited and the couple episodes he was in over there. He's definitely had his moments in this book where I, I like the character, where he's playing Wii with Blue Beetle or whatever and making fun of him and He's talking witty banter, banter, and bombshells about ready to shoot him with her, you know, Captain Adam gloves or whatever. So, I, I've definitely enjoyed the character, but like I said, you, you kind of hit the ground running, so I didn't really get a good sense of who he was. All right, so, I just got back. What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, Paul, you I, just got back in time for the the second feature, which is the the Ravager feature. Um, and uh. I like Rose as a character, and so that's kind of gotten me through this this um, second feature, which it was kind of a weird way to, to – um, it was kind of a drug trip that got her into the Antarctic, basically, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and now she's kind of dealing with this slave ring that she's found. And uh, it's, not the, it's not the greatest story in the world, but I, with, you know, I'll, I pretty much read anything with Rose in it, so it was good. I was always frustrated that they never followed through on a relationship with her and Kid Devil. Yeah. I enjoyed the hinting at that back when I was reading the title, but they just never seemed to finish up with it, and then they took her off. I'm re- yeah, I'm really you hoping know, that she comes back and has this where the, where the heck is Red Devil conversation with uh, Wonder Girl. Where the heck is Red Devil? Uh, he died like three episodes ago. Okay. Huh? Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't either. I didn't either. You know, I I loved Teen Titans. It was one of my favorite books when Jeff Johns was writing it. Oh, yeah. And then, like, there was a three-part or a four-part storyline featuring the future Titans against the modern Titans um, that was co-written by another guy who was taking over after him. I think it might have been Adam Beechin that was taking over the title at that time. And it started off great, and it ended with crap. Because Jeff Johns didn't stay on for the full storyline. And then I just, I, I haven't been able to get into Teen Titans. And the, the group has been in flux pretty much since that storyline, since Jeff Johns left the title. Um, and uh, I, I, I want to buy a Teen Titans book. I want it to have Red Robin. I want it to have Superboy, Wonder Girl, you know, kind of the team that started this volume of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I needed to have a, a good writer. And a good artist. I think Mark Bagley would kick all sorts of ass on Teen Titans. 
I held um, on a little bit longer because I had had such a long run with the title that I just didn't want to give up on it. I kept I kept getting issue after issue, but I left when Robin left. That was kind of the last. I think that might that have been like when I left when him and Wonder Girl broke up or something. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't have a problem with the Joe Bennett art per se, but I I like I said I I've I've been on record as saying that. It's it's kind of it's kind of a transitional period for this team, and it does need some some kind of foundation. That's my problem. Is it's felt like a transitional period since the one year jump. Is the team has always seemed to have been in flux since they did that, and it was one of it was my favorite title for a while. It was the first book I would read as soon as I would get home, and then they did the one year later jump, and they threw in this new team, and there were still one or two arcs after that that i enjoyed but the book's never been the same to me since that and again it might be good now it might actually be good i'm just not reading it right. yeah same here well, i'll give up my mantle of teen titans apologist for this month <laughs> <laughs> so wayne you read ultimate enemy number one yep and i have been harsh on the ultimate universe as of late because i'm not enjoying uh Ultimate Avengers and Ultimate Spider-Man, after being one of my favorite titles, has been such a huge disappointment. But I really enjoyed this. And I'm going to try not to give any spoilers because I know you haven't read it yet, Aaron. I have not read it yet. But I think they need to they need to pay royalties or something to Watchmen because they're, the whole story so far revolves around a giant tentacle creature showing up in the middle of New York. Very nice. Is that um, the ultimate enemy? No, we don't really know who this character is yet. I don't know if it's going to be a new character or what, but there is somebody here that seems fairly powerful, but we still have no idea who it is. They haven't given that away. This particular story is mostly a Fantastic Four story, with the exceptions of Reed is retired, Johnny is over with Spider-Man, and they are thankfully not in the book at all. None of the Spider-Man family that are all living together in one tiny little house. Hmm. Um, there's also a lot of, I don't know if to, whether to call her Scarlet Spider or Spider Woman or what, but the Spider-Man clone, the female one, yeah, she has a big part in the story too, and I really like her character. She's a clone? I thought that was Kitty Pride. Nope. I don't know. I, obviously, I don't read the Ultimate stuff. I've, I've always thought that character was Kitty Pride. No, they did a, uh, basically they did a clone, and they were going to give her a new name and a new personality. They were going to call her Jessica Drew, and they were going to give her a history. And then what happened was she woke up and escaped. So she has all of Peter Parker's memories, and she thinks of herself as Peter Parker, but she's female. So I am looking forward to seeing how this miniseries pans out, because I'm enjoying this. I'm looking forward to seeing what that Ultimate X is going to be. I do have one confusing moment in here though apparently ben Grimm in the ultimate universe was dropping rocks off his body before yeah. everything fell apart yeah i didn't know that they referenced that in here and i'm left wondering why is he falling apart i don't know i i, I but i was reading uh, ultimate fantastic four uh when that started yeah i dropped off ultimate fantastic four at one point and yeah. i didn't know about any of that but they do touch on it here huh so yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to the rest of it, and I will avoid spoiling any of it for you. I appreciate that. I'll read it. Maybe we can talk about it next week. 
We're not. Apparently not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Screw me. I. All right. <laughs> um, Paul, you read Secret Warriors number two. I, 12. No, it says number two. <laughs> um, well, you type that. <laughs> uh, I did read Secret Warriors number 12. And uh, for those who remember, Secret Warriors was my number one um, favorite new series of 2009. And it continues to be excellent. Did anybody else read? Did, Wayne, did you read this? No? Nope. Damn it. Everyone should be reading Secret Warriors. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about it a little bit because uh, we spoke with Jonathan Hickman and his interview uh, dropped last week at the time of uh, folks listening to this episode. Um, and Secret Warriors is definitely setting up its own universe um, of espionage and, you know, these great characters. It, there's so much going on in this one title. I, I like the fact that it's distanced itself from the rest of the Marvel universe um, because it literally, there's so much going on in this book. It, it could probably be three books that that's how much story is jam packed into each issue. Yeah. I plan on picking up the trade after hearing you guys talk about it on the interview and particularly the, that shield was, actually being run by one of the many evil organizations in the Marvel universe. I can't remember if you said it was aim or Hydra. It was Hydra Hydra, actually. Yeah. Um, And you know, there, there are different um, manipulative, you know, different organizations like that, different evil organizations. And so it's kind of building up this mythology of, you know, how they all interact. Um, There's another one called Leviathan. That's, um, you know, they're, they're building up and, uh, it's really, it's a fun read. You know, it's got a lot of wacky, cool science fiction type action. And, you know, even though Nick Fury is almost on the cover of every issue, a, you know, a full issue may go by without so much as an appearance from Nick Fury because they, they focus so much on, on the villains also. Like the secret warriors are maybe a, the actual secret warriors in question are actually maybe a third of this book um, because they're, all on different paths. Um, they're all doing different things. You know, Nick Fury is building up an army to take on these evil organizations. Um, he's building up a new Howling Commandos. Uh, and it's, this is really, it's fantastic stuff. Um, I will say, because there's so much story in each, in each issue, it's, it's almost better to wait for the trade on it. Um, I find it was a more enjoyable experience reading the first six issues in trade rather than reading the floppies, because so much happens from issue to issue. It, it helps having it all in one book, I think, or being able to read it all at one time. Yeah. Um, but still, I, I definitely recommend picking up Secret Warriors. Uh, and number 12 came out this week. And I do want to mention one more book before we go, even though it's not on our outline. It's not on our outline, Paul. We can't mention that book. But <laughs> we have to. No, because- I'm sorry. It's, uh, I, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Paul is out of control. Yeah, it's, I'm yes. sorry. Your rage has rendered you chaotic, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is going to be our intervention. All right. Well, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> oh, book? you can't leave us hanging. You have to tell us what the book is. What's your book, Paul? It's not an angry book. Um, it's Xenoscope's Neverland Number Zero came out this week. Um, cover price of a buck ninety nine. Um, if you like. You know, adult takes on fantasy literature, things like that. Uh, this is a very adult take on Peter Pan, um, in that Peter Pan is the bad guy, Captain Hook is the good guy, um, that kind of thing. Wendy is grown up now; she has kids of her own. 
uh, or, or a niece and nephew. She doesn't have any kids of her own. Um, it, it, it's there's not too much. It's all build up in that issue uh, to what's coming up in the actual six issue series, I think. Uh, but for a buck ninety nine, pick up issue zero. It's worth it, specifically because there's another ad for the waking, a brand new ad for the waking, which is the upcoming zombie book from Xenoscope. And again, it has a quote from us on it. <laughs> so your buck ninety nine will be well spent supporting ideology of madness. Advertising other books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, uh, you've got uh, your unwritten contest out there. What? Don't I'm you kidding. have any? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> You're like, what? I mean, it's, it's here in the notes. It has to be true. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, I am pushing it off one more week. So if you're listening to this on Monday, February 1st, am I right? Ish. Ish. <laughs> yeah. looking, uh, uh, Monday, February. Uh, yes, Monday, February 1st. If you're listening to this um, Monday, February 1st or any time the week of February 1st, I'm extending the contest until midnight Eastern Standard Time on February 5th. Um, because I wanted to, you know, mention it on the podcast before I ended the contest because, uh, you know, we have a lot of listeners who come to our podcast through iTunes or other, or through an RSS feed, um, and don't necessarily, you know, check out the site. Definitely check out www.ideologyofmadness.com. All you have to do is tell us about your favorite childhood book, um, to be entered into a chant, uh, drawing to win one of three copies of the unwritten, uh, trade paperback first volume. Cool. And uh, the Indie Comic Book Sampler Contest ended on uh, Friday, January the 29th at 11.59 p.m. Central Time. And we will be announcing the winners of that contest at the end of this show today. So listen through the credits because uh, you could be a lucky winner. And I will be so glad to get all those comics out of my house. <laughs> I have got just indie comics all over the place. I am, I am looking forward to getting those shipped out. All right. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, you guys have a good week. Tim, thanks for uh, for sitting in with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll talk to you again when Teen Titans comes out. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> I say I envy your only two books a week or a month. <laughs> it's more like four, but it was only two this week. So. <laughs> well, very good. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. See you later. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. several weeks at ideologyofmadness.com we've been hosting the Indie Comic Book Week Sampler Giveaway all last week we showcased the books in the sampler and it is a ton of books the contest is over and it's time to give these books away so our third prize winner is Stingray 
Our second prize winner is Todd Zercher. And our grand prize winner, who gets one of everything and more, is Michael Lagoki! And I'm sure I pronounced that name wrong. We'll be uh, sending a note out to you guys here in the the next day or so to coordinate uh, shipping. And we look forward to getting these books out to you. This was a lot of fun. Look forward to doing it for you again. Thanks a bunch.